Hey, what's up? It's your girl Shade Chamber, a Genshin podcast made by people who are just really tired. I'm reskinned Honkai Asset Beefy. I'm Break, certifying that you will get a girlfriend if you play Genshin Impact. Maybe. With Hydro in the streets and Electro in the sheets, it's your boy, Jer. I'm your unreachable Seelie, Rod. And I'm the bow user who's getting fed like hell in this next patch, Wander. This is kind of our vibe check before we head on to 3.0 and Sumeru. Little bit of housekeeping. Stuff's good, stuff's gravy. We just put out the Enkanomiya and Chasm episodes and have gotten a pretty incredible response. If you have any friends who are as into overanalyzing shit as we are and you think they might like us, please send us their way. We're not chasing huge numbers here. We just know that there's a pretty good chance that we're someone's favorite Genshin video podcast hosted by five churls, and they just don't know it yet because they haven't heard of us. <laughs> and second of all, probably the best thing you can do for us right now is hit the bell icon when you sub to us because we're going to go dark for a while after this one. We are going to kind of hunker down. One of us is going to nurse her burnout from editing episodes and it's gonna be a hot minute uh before you hear from us again whether it is post our conquest or sometime in between we're just gonna kind of settle into this next phase again Shin. but here we are bear witness to us on this eve before we take the plunge speaking of plunges uh summer event yeah so this kind of marks the second visit of the player base to the uh, golden apple archipelago i was so happy to stop playing this horrible repetitive grind fest genshin impact and get back into playing one of my favorite games in recent years genshin impact and this time we received a whole new adventure primarily featuring a number of characters who have not been seen in a long time this is the first time we've seen Official in literally 23 months by my count. Nearly two whole years. They picked her to be in Honkai, and yet they've done next to nothing for her in this game. This event really served as her almost reintroduction into the game. Uh, yeah, as, as someone who hadn't met Official in the story before, it was basically like zero to 80 we're going to therapy island everyone is getting their baggage busted wide open and we're gonna see all your shit <laughs> going into the uh Im 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 i didn't realize what i had walked into was secretly a persona dungeon to the point where all the characters looked at each other and said ah that's Fischl's shadow the degree to which, like, how hard the therapy islands hit really kind of depended on person to person. Because Kazuha doesn't ever seem like he's anything but utterly chill. Even getting his friend, you know, smoked, it's something he kind of came to terms with very quickly and doesn't seem to hold much resentment over, besides some, like, small acknowledgments here and there. Yeah, well, I mean, um, Kazuha himself seems constantly smoked so maybe that's it <laughs> yeah those uh it's legal up there in canada uh yeah <laughs> i i feel like this event just reinforced that shinyan and kazuha are truly the capybaras of genshin they're extremely chill and they just get along with anybody in terms of the way the event was structured too like the two chillest people went first and then you have fischl and then i, I know that at least 
um, for break. Um, he mentioned being fairly surprised that Mona was coming afterwards just because officials were so climactic. And look, what's funny too is that Mona's isn't even really particularly light. It it, it also kind of delves into her anxieties as someone who can predict the future and essentially has the thankless task of giving people perpetually bad news. Well, so I have a theory about this, which is I think Alice in her infinite wisdom as a chaos gremlin initially invited Mona and Fischl with the idea that they were going to deal with their shit. And then when it came out that the traveler was bringing along two more people, she probably looked into them a little bit and was like, oh, these people have trauma, but they've dealt with it already. So they can kind of act as the guides for the other two. Because Kazuha and Shinyan both have dealt with some shit in their life, but they've found a healthy forward path through it. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, they're kind of like, they're the icebreakers. They're like, it's not so bad on Therapy Island. And then Fischl goes and just gets hit by a bus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was uh, really great watching it go from being a chuny hellscape to phantasmic. To I also wrote down phantasmic. <laughs> <laughs> also, the, the difference in line reads between Fischl and Shadow Fischl's was really funny. Shadow Fischl was like so much more comfortable in her cheesy role, but she was also like too cheesy. The voice actors definitely had a lot of fun with this one. Yeah. My favorite thing was finding out that the narrator for the Fischl books that we went into pronounced the German words correctly, meaning this whole time Fischl and the rest of Mondstadt have just been <laughs> mispronouncing words. I mean, they don't even pronounce him all right. Uh, did anyone feel like Fischl took the wrong message out of her dungeon? <laughs> My depression prevents me from being truly cringe. So was this Fischl embracing her cringe destiny? Uh, not necessarily. I think within the confines of Fischl and her home life, she just kind of picked the ones that would help her keep moving forward. She embraced the cringe. She truly did. She owned it. I feel like this wasn't very good for her, but it was very fun for us. Well, see, I don't know. It's weird because the thing is that she became a success after inventing this persona for herself and became a renowned adventurer trusted by the uh adventurers guild in spite of the way she acts you know what you're right that's actually a way better message is just fuck it whatever works for you if you have to larp to get through your goddamn day do it it. live your best life i also like the fact that they just outright said that oz was her imaginary friend and they were all just totally okay acknowledging that he's also her cringe translator he's so he's like the little piece of her that wants to be understood I do wish that we'd gotten, like, the scene of her first summoning Oz in front of her parents. Just because I want to know what their reaction to that was. I love that she still lives with her parents and still calls them the Kaiser and Kaiser. And then, like, when she finds out that Mona, like, lives pretty comfortably, she's like, You came to my house! My mom made you cold cuts! And Mona's like, And they were divine! Yeah, that was the highlight of almost the entire story for me. Yeah, well, we found out Mona has money, and she's like, how do you think I stay rich? You think I pay for my own meals? <laughs> it was definitely great seeing them together again, just because their dynamic is one of them is extra, and the other is even more extra. Yeah, and they both think that their bullshit is far more noble than the other person's bullshit. Also, it's they're perpetually catty as well. But they're also like friends, like, you know, Mona goes to Fischl's house. 
house. Yeah, like they've known each other for a long time. So like, two years. <laughs> wait, really? Yeah, because they were both in Unreconciled Stars. That was yeah. both of their character uh, intros. That's where they met and became friends. Oh, that's where they. <laughs> that's where they became friends because like, yeah. like, they were so bitchy to each other. But I love that. That's just part of it. Yeah, they, like it's interesting because this story with them picks up two years after the Unreconciled. Or well. It, in real time two years like in right. fiction who knows how long yeah who the fuck but, yeah they're, they're very time agnostic yeah but like they've known each other since that event and so it's really fun to see that they've like remained close and like still to kind of pick at each other like with that swim race that they did and everything like there were so many gals being pals in this event like when Shinyan relived her birthday with shangling and yunshin it was so cute oh yeah, i love yeah. that that was adorable female friendships baby I also like the part where Mona said, like, I guess even someone as rational and scientific as myself sometimes daydreams in frivolous fantasies like astrology not being real. <laughs> <laughs> now that in-game, the full circumstances behind Kazuha's Kazuhexit from his family has been fleshed out in story, there is now zero backstory to illustrate for Kazuha. It's all been done. It's all there. He's finished. Uh, I guess also in 2.8, we got his character quest. Full disclosure, I'm a dumbass. And okay, first of all, don't send me any leaks. I really want to avoid them right now. But in that moment, with in the doldrums between Inazuma and Sumeru, I heard some extremely unfounded rumblings that Scaramouche was going to be a weekly boss that debuted for Kazuka's Quest. I'm kind of glad it's not the case. They have some plans for the Moosh yet, apparently. As far as I'm concerned, his character quest was like a horse girl story, but with a sword. A horse I mean, girl story? Yeah. Kind of. I I was really disappointed in his character quest just because I thought, are we going to get like some emotional development over the loss of his friend and finally like finishing his quest for not necessarily revenge but like some level of justice for his loss and everything that happened with the vision hunt decree and then yeah we just got the the swarce girl story and it's like <laughs> well there's more we could have done with this my man's has no emotional baggage because he smoked it out of his prefrontal cortex but anyway yeah i feel like i think he's, his story's <laughs> been told <laughs> i think we're good with kazuha Kazuha is just a character who is looking forward to the day he picks up that lightning vision and uses it again. Yes. Um, but another thing, uh, in terms of uh, the Golden Apple Archipelago serving the function that it always does, my guess is that we can anticipate uh, seeing more of the kinds of puzzles that we've had on the island, probably in Sumeru. I was excited at the premise of Don Maku segments later in Genshin because oh God. Mona had that part that was just the hermit section of Sayonara Wild Arts. Oh, that's but, something worth bringing up. They got into that near camera locking. Like they yeah. did a section in Kazuha's memory hole where they locked the camera horizontally side-scroller style. And then they locked Mona's above her during that section. Yeah, you want to mess with more, like, genres? Locking it to a 2D plane really opens stuff up. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how some of those are implemented in the future. I, I think it's no secret that a lot of the Wave Rider functions made their way into Inazuma. Inazuma just had zero Wave Rider introductions, because they were like, oh, you played Golden Apple, right? You can do that. 
the introduction to the Wave Rider being in Golden Apple 2021, and then they just showed up in Izumo Izum with no fanfare, uh, in spite of the fact that, once again, a lot of people can't play Golden Apple 2021. Yeah. I will say, though, the aesthetics on Mona's Island are fucking chef's kiss. Gorgeous. Which is amazing, because uh, now might be a good time to talk about the asset reuse. The, uh, yes, I had a note yes, about yes. this, too. So... Outside recordings, we've often said Genshin is like Star Trek, where as you play or watch it, you can kind of see how it's made. The budgetary constraints, the time constraints. Genshin has a shit ton of money. We're going to get into that later this episode. But they have very limited time. And so it is all about how clever are you with your asset reuse? How quickly can you flip stuff to make it look like something new while making it so that people don't feel like they've been shafted? Simona's Island, the good majority of the interiors, I'm pretty positive they're just the um, Adventure Rank Level Up tile set reconfigured along with a couple of high-fidelity and unique art assets. Yeah. But that's pretty much all it was. They just took tiles they already had and then reconfigured it into something that looked like it was really Mona-themed, and it worked. And the... Imanok Rice. Is that the right... We'll probably just like get a sound clip official saying it and put it over everybody. <laughs> Perfect. Fair. Um, uh, but yeah, the generally speaking, just reusing Mondstadt tile sets, even their NPCs were all generally stationary. It totally fit in the theme, but it was a product of limitations. They're really good at reincorporating stuff. I think one of the things that really impressed me over the past two patches, this and the one with Yellon's quest, is how they're starting to use canned animations in different contexts to mean different things. When Ito punches the wall, that's some attack that he does, but they just don't have the sword in his hand, right? Oh, no, that's actually when he's summoning Ushi. He punches Ushi. Oh, no. Like, there's this one part where Fischl, like, spins into frame. It made me laugh super hard. There's another part where Paimon says, hey, man, I'm not some kind of clock. But her eyes click back and forth like one of those old Felix clocks. There's one scene that made me laugh because Mona raises her eyebrows, but from the way the camera's framed, one of her eyebrows is hidden by her hair, so it just looks like she's raising one eyebrow. And I think that was intentional. <laughs> You're actually getting some performance comedy out of these character models by just being clever with the animations you have. And it's not like they're being lazy. This is a limited time event and they are building a country right now. So of course they're not going to like be pumping animations into this stuff. I mean, they were building a country and put out this whole new event with, like, yeah, they were reusing assets, but they still had to come up with, like, the different individual um, combat encounters in each one, the the different Wave Rider races, the, like, design for each of the islands so that they fit with the character that was, like, their therapy island. And the it's... matchmaking for the new uh, multiplayer segments. Like, that's a huge undertaking. Yeah, they yeah, put in yeah. a lot of fucking work, and it, it really shows. When we talked about our favorite limited time events last episode, I said my favorite is still, you know, the Golden Apple Archipelago, and that stands. Like, I thought this was a fantastic event. You know, some things were kind of hit and miss, like how each island had different interesting puzzle mechanics, like line up the things and shoot the beam, and line up the things and shoot the beam, and then also line up the things and then shoot the beam. <laughs> One of the smaller things that gets overlooked, I'm not sure how they would even be able to implement this on a larger scale, was um, Kazuha's island having, like, geo change with uh, which half of it you had loaded. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, I really wonder if that's going to be put into Sumeru to some capacity, where, like, you can change the environment by altering what grows where. Um, yeah. That's the thing cool. about um, the uh, Golden Apple Archipelago is that it was always a zone that was a little bit more malleable. Um to those of you who hadn't played it last year, a big mechanic was actually changing the water levels where some of the islands that were higher up or equivalent islands that were higher up actually started at sea level. And then uh, through mechanics, you kept dropping the water level further and further. Oh, that's really cool. So there were different like world states based on that. And they did that this time around just with uh, characters getting themed islands. And then they, in Inazuma, uh, when you're exploring the underground segments of the islands, they would have water draining segments. So um, maybe this is like a precursor to swappable stuff. How do they do that anyway? Is it just like, because they have to change the collision. It's not like they're just swapping in the terrain. Literally, I have no idea because I feel like uh, Golden Apple probably obeys its own rules versus the rest of the static world states. Yeah, it it is. It's a sandbox, not just for Alice, but for for the devs, too. Yeah, because you can really see where the loading screens are, but everything loads really fast for like such big terrain and locale changes. What exactly was the stuff with the Fatui again? Something, something. We have some tech we'd like to test somewhere. Oh, here's an uninhabited island, presumably. Except that they didn't factor in that Alice runs this place, so stuff started to go wrong. Yeah, that was something we didn't talk about in the Chasm app, but just like the B-plots of like getting to know the skirmishers and the, the Fatui grunts and the culture they come from. They're definitely doing a lot to try to humanize the Fatui skirmishers, which I appreciate. I mean, called shot, we're probably going to team up with them at some point <laughs> against Celestia. Because yeah, like no one in Genshin is really evil so far. Like people are doing some bad shit, but they generally have like an understandable reason and could probably be persuaded if they found another way to suit their goals. So is it because of Alice's fuckery in the area? That it explodes? The explanation that's given is that the device was meant to use to, like, break down people's will and make them go crazy. But it turns out that only happens on people with weak wills. I hated that. I hate that was my least favorite part is when Kazuha's like, we didn't go crazy because we're just better than them. And I hate it when they do that yeah. with the Genshin characters. It's like, oh, why didn't you lose your will to live when your vision got taken away? Because uh, you're just better than other people who also had visions. It's just that they're not playable. Like, come on. And it really goes against the plots that they were trying to get into with the chasm of like, hey, what is life like for the visionless people of this world? Yeah, like, we're valid. We have meaning. Uh, apparently not. Not this writing staff. Hmm? No vision. <laughs> <laughs> we were robbed of Cujo Sara. I want to see her go to therapy and get her shit blown out in front of everybody. I really, really wanted to see her join Fischl's LARP party, go full wharf and say, I protest. I am not a merry man. Then like smash Shinya's guitar against a tree. <laughs> Vendi was just there and I thought he was going to be more of a factor because it's like Midsummer Night's Dream, right? It kind of wasn't. I thought maybe there would be something with Odyssey. You know, we have the connection to Eris now with Alice. Maybe there's a little Cersei in there too. But I looked it up and the the word they use for Homer's Odyssey in Chinese is not the same as Odyssey that they use in the title for this. Uh, it doesn't mean anything on that respect. 
Just to get that phone call, it's just like words, 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 or hey, bro, what you doing? Okay, tell me about it later. It's like, uh, who is this? <laughs> New phone, who this? <laughs> God. Answer the phone. It says, hi, I'm the Archon. Go to Sumeru. Sumeru says, no, our Archon been dead for 500 years. Then who is phone? <laughs> Christ. Archon hook vision hook car door. (laughs) (laughs) Take us back to Y2K because guess what? Everything old is new again and the Zoomers have gotten their version of Organization 13. Uh, Behold your sexy extra drama queen cast of weird villains. That Harbinger reveal trailer was just incredible. I think the most important thing about it was the fact that they just showed all of them at once, really, really suddenly, unannounced, unprompted. We'll say I'm glad that they dress better than Organization 13 did. The coats are significantly more stylish in this time around, I think. I'm not too sure about that on one hand. On the other hand, I do appreciate that they have a bit more diversity in terms of genders than Organization 13. Yes, they have three girl. They had four girl, but one exploded. Yeah, one did explode. It was kind of nice that they were a little sad about Rosie being dead. I thought it would just be another villain cabal where they're like, eh, goes another one. Well, see, okay, here's the thing. Some of them are going to need to be playable, which means they all have to have that baseline of being decently sympathetic where it wouldn't just be completely abhorrent to team up with them. You know who is decently sympathetic? (laughs) Rosie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, even Arlecchino is like, think of the children. Think of the orphans. I do. I make them every day. (laughs) Oh, no. I'm not sure how they're going to make Arlequino sympathetic, given, like... They don't need to. She's hot. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the amount of fan art that came out after that trailer of just Arlequino is insane. Imagine Money. being Yelon, and you're like, hi, I'm the new sexy one, and then you just get blown out by a trailer. Do you know who is really hot and who got blown out? Senor. Uh, all right so listen we have arlecchino a little little shoddy by the coffin we got pants man uh we got the bloodborne doll and her friend big band (laughs) Uh, we got grandpa we got other grandpa and we got capitano we also got merciful redesign (laughs) glow up datore well, one of his bodies might still look like the old one. Yeah, that's true. And then we got Zhongli with glasses. Yeah, pants man. I own a bank. I may be a banker, but Mayor, that wasn't very bank of you. Like, it's very cute that all these dum-dums come together and tell us exactly what they're all about by bickering with each other. They don't seem to like each other, but they have that sort of family quality to them. I mean, they're the mean girls of Shneznaya. Yeah, yeah, they're bitches. They did a couple of things clever here. So everyone is wearing those uniforms, meaning they still have the opportunity to have, like, kind of the rest of them designed. And even though we know what all their faces are, we don't actually know anything about their battle techniques, uh, save for maybe the one who has the giant robot. (laughs) Yeah. It's a uniform that, to its credit, isn't as obvious as the Organization 13 robes. That uh, old Organization 13 coat was like, I'm going to design a uniform to be a placeholder for a character. (laughs) Yeah. And then, psych, I'm never going to give them a design. I I was going to ask really quick, who's who's the Harbinger everyone's kind of looking forward to the most? Child. (laughs) 
He's already in the game, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I love that for you. Capitano, who I choose to believe is not only Minogius, but also Sasayuri, because three men who look like adult waiver in FGO are not allowed to exist in this universe. For those who play Monster Hunter, the Sasayuri Minogius connection should be clear. He's a Tengu, he's a monkey. Eh? Aha! Ten. Eh? <laughs> On that note, uh, Scaramouche coming up is going to be a real interesting case. Like, I guess for personal entertainment, uh, I am waiting to see what Capitano's deal is because some people I play a certain other MMO with spent a day or so working up an incredible thirst for him. Yeah, <laughs> that's another way that it's like Organization 13 is everyone does it for somebody. Pulsinella is the only one I haven't seen a massive amount of thirst for, but people like him anyway because he apparently dotes on Child's family. Mm-hmm. So a vote for him is a vote for child thirst. <laughs> <laughs> I'm personally looking forward to Sandrone. I or Sandrone. I don't know how to pronounce her name, but the the marionette, the, one with the worry. big robot. They'll pronounce it wrong, just like they mispronounced Tartalia. Exactly. But yeah, I want to know what her big band bot does. Yeah, he's got the Ruin Guard insignia on his face, so he's like a, a super customized guy. Somebody had the theory that she's the one who like runs all the Catherines. That, that would make sense. sense. I suppose that would make sense, since isn't the Adventurer's Guild technically based in Shnezhnaya? Yeah, Catherine says so, and they, they even say that Shnezhnaya has, like, the best tech out of all the lands, so I'm hoping that she's a little techie. Oh, but the uh, last point I wanted to make was, I'm not sure if we ever talked about it sort of in the podcast, but what's interesting in terms of the Saritza being a goddess of love was that among the Fatuiti, the uh, one Commedia dell'arte role that's fairly central that isn't filled is that of the, uh, I think it's the Inamortati, which is the uh, lovers, who are typically the protagonists, well, nominal protagonists of a given work, like the equivalent of a Romeo and Juliet. Oh, um, I thought that was Arlecchino and Columbina, where the Amori... No, no. So they are the servants still. So typically Arlecchino and Columbina are what I would say is probably the actual protagonists in that they are the sort of tricky servants who drive the plot forward with their cool antics. Yeah. They're the ones who everyone likes and who everyone walks away from the story saying like, man, that Mercutio guy sure was cool or something like that. Yeah. Just the charming, like supporting cast guy. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the, uh, the Inamortati are typically more the, uh, bumbling lovers, the ones who are so deeply in love with each other that they're kind of blinded to, uh, the machinations of the world around them. Yo, do you uh, think the first cryo archon was her husband? Or her wife, because it's Mihoyo. Whoa. <laughs> I'm actually wondering about that, because there must have been something to drive her over the edge. And then in terms of sort of a Honkai parallelism, the, um, ice Honkai beast at least to my understanding in that, is also defined by having a prominent story quest person who is their um, love interest. Mm. I mean, my understanding is eventually merges with them and they become like an eldritch abomination or something. <gasps> her husband is attached to her arm like an angler fish. So anyway, it's, that's just another uh, feature of this whole Fatui structure that kind of uh, hints as to uh, any potential for the Tharitha's true nature. I'm looking forward to the little... The crumbs. The crumlin. <laughs> no! Oh no! I can't believe you got me with that! <laughs> it's 
speaking of current events. Yeah, so there's actually been quite a few current events, but none that really have had explicit consequences for Genshin so far. There's just kind of a lot of interesting things happening around it. The first thing that kind of happened in the peripheral, there's been a big kerfuffle about the Unity engine. Ever since, I think, 2020 is when they kind of changed direction with their new EA CEO. And they've partnered up with this really kind of shady software company now, and looks like that's kind of the direction they've chosen. No one is happy about this. It's pretty bad. I would look it up for yourself, but it is still at this point news. We don't know what effect it's going to have on the game industry, on games that use the Unity engine and Genshin itself. So we're kind of holding that one off until there's more to say about it. Although with that said, Genshin is a very big client of theirs, so I don't think there's much to worry about with Genshin specifically. Yeah, the people who seem most concerned are the indie devs who don't want to be forced to buy into the monopoly of Unreal, which is extremely fair. But it seems like this new direction of Unity is motivated by greed and... Hoyoverse has the money where they can speak to that and kind of hold their own. So, yeah, we'll see. Tower of Fantasy came out. Speaking of things that we don't lose sleep over, Tower of Fantasy came out. I still have to try it. I haven't uh, gone in on it yet. Genshin is dead. Genshin is dead, and we know that because all the characters from Genshin showed up in the Tower of Fantasy character creator. What? Now... Let's be clear here, we are not hating on Tower of Fantasy because it's a Genshin competitor. On the contrary, I welcome a Genshin competitor. Genshin has embarrassed its peers in the gacha game space, but that doesn't mean that it hasn't gotten a little comfy at the top. And I think some real competition that would kind of light a fire under its ass is just gonna be better for all of us. That said, Tower of Fantasy, it ain't it, Chief. It remains to be seen how much of a competitor it will actually shape up to be. My thoughts are on probably not much of one. Like, uh, the kind of weird and sort of shady stuff the, the people behind it got up to in an attempt to promote it enough to try to be a Genshin competitor is maybe yeah. my catch up to it who knows yeah uh those controversies and I'll post some of the hobby drama links on the description for this episode but also it's just you can't fake Genshin Genshin came and ate every other gacha games lunch because it was made by people who gave a damn so you cannot go toe to toe with Genshin if you are rushing and cutting corners they would have been better off giving their creative leads all the resources in the world to make their passion project and throwing their full weight behind it because that's what genshin has like as scummy as it is and as scummy of a genre it occupies it has this sincere drive for quality that is going to give it this head start but just because it has that head start doesn't mean it's impossible to close that gap but it is if you just throw away any shot by making something that is contrived in terms of the authenticity the presence of it or lack thereof is something that you can detect pretty quickly even if you're not consciously aware of it like we've mentioned before genshin is fairly restrained in terms of the amount of 
I guess, idiosyncratic anime elements is the most delicate way of putting it. Yeah, anime bullshit would be the the less tempered. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it's still very even-heeled in terms of how much of that is in the game at any given moment. And that's something that Tower Fantasy seems a lot more liberal with. Again, as an older, tired millennial is fairly noticeable. When you've consumed this media for a long period of time, you begin to notice the strings, unless they're really well hidden, and authenticity is a good way to do that. Yeah, but at the same time, this is a genre that prays to people's base instincts, i.e. horny and gamble, and maybe that is enough to actually lose a chunk, and that will be interesting to see. Uh, Personally, Genshin is like just the right balance to hold my personal interest. It's such a package of presentation, cultural background, character writing, setting, gameplay, aesthetic, blah, blah, blah. If it was missing any one of them, I would not be playing Genshin. And that's why I just have no interest in playing Tower of Fantasy. Like, I don't even have an interest in playing Honkai. That's just not what I go for in a, in a game like these. I'm going to go in on uh, actually both of those that you just mentioned because I want to just see what they're like. I'll, I'll um, watch it. I'll definitely watch someone play it. Like they have, they do have some cool stuff. Like I see a lot of people rumbling about how it has mounts and Genshin doesn't, and I'm like, hey, that that's something Genshin could get on. Um, it seems like it has much faster, snappier combat. And it does have, like, a lot of aerial combat in the form of a jetpack. It's really janky, but, like, you know, just steal back and forth. What people are responding to, do it better. That's the hope of what comes out of this. And I think as a nice kind of segue off of that, I think one of the ways that we can tell that, you know, Tower Fantasy is maybe a a half-hearted attempt at a Genshin game is they're probably not dumping as much money into the development of that game as Hoyoverse is into Genshin. When your closest comparison to game budget might reasonably be Star Citizen, you're in sicko mode for your game budget. Yeah, that that was some news that came out this week. Just the absurd levels of money Hoyoverse has spent on Genshin, and now it's set to become the most expensive game ever made. Credit to Kira Faith on Reddit who did the impossible and kind of sussed out as many financial figures on Genshin, which keeps them notoriously close to his chest, as is possible. We have a rough idea of their initial budget, 100 mil. Within a year, I think they said that the ongoing development cost for the game was 200 mil a year or something like that. Yeah, and a lot of that is advertising, man. Yeah, I'm not surprised. that They... Lit up the Alps. They did a light show up there. They did the central main Times Square billboard smack dab in the middle of the New Year's Eve broadcast last year. I couldn't even find a rental figure for that. They are not pulling ad money at all. And it seems to be working for them because... If they really do make a return on investment equivalent to 15 times what they put into it, like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> According to Kira Faith, the the total cost of development up to this point would have been about $500 million, and the purported return on investment that they've received is about $3.7 billion. Who knows if that's a good, like, annual extrapolation, but they haven't lost any steam. 
I don't think there has been a month where Genshin playership dropped. It's just grown more slowly. They dominate 67% of the gotcha market in China. That's like dominating 67% of the slot machine revenue. Highly competitive market. That's pretty wild and not to mention isn't doesn't China have those laws about like how much screen time people are allowed to have under um, a certain age I mean even with the the time limits on that that's like you know that's a lot of kids so correct me if I'm wrong either you guys or somebody in the comments it seems like their demo skews older in China it's more like frankly our age like late 20s to mid 30s that would make sense, but I mean, one of the things that they heavily rely on for advertising for this is word of mouth and FOMO, too. The, the demo may be aimed at our age demographic, but like we see a lot of younger people who are participating in this yeah. game just on social media alone. So Yeah, it skews, it skews young over here, for sure. I mean, I feel like also, almost why wouldn't it? Like, yeah. in terms of the amount of, again, restraint they've shown towards anime bullshit, it's like... Oh, finally, a nice wholesome gambling game for the children. My auntie knows about Genshin Impact, and she will never know about any other gotcha property because they are sinful. <laughs> I, I was like, I, I did a double take the other day because I was getting coffee, getting ready for work, and then NPR comes on with this Genshin story, and I'm losing my mind for like five minutes there. It sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, like we are so used to this highly anime genre stuff being something that's way under the radar of the larger scale of culture genshin is enormous they contracted with the freaking london philharmonic for god's sake like i was walking around downtown and it's like wait a minute that's shenhei's ass on a billboard (laughs) you'd know that ass anywhere (laughs) wait where where's her ass (laughs) let me just dox myself real quick but yeah, it's like, you know, when video games get big, they get big posters on the Hotel Figueroa. They don't get Times Square New Year's Eve. That's crazy bitch money. <laughs> That's Ningguang money, baby. <laughs> so now we arrive to the main event, the stuff that we are all kind of in the holding pen for. It's finally time. The road has led us here. The road to Dendro. Yeah. Finally, they have to put the seventh element in the game after lying about it for two years. <laughs> after showing us tantalizing images of Dendro Visions in Leeway that we will never be able to play. Because- yeah, Baiju. Baiju who continues to just show up in events because they're like, oh, we'll make him a real person eventually. Baiju never. Yao Yao, it doesn't exist. Oops. By the time we see Yao Yao, she's going to be the teen girl sized model. She's going to be Matt and Ping. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> She's like, damn, I've been waiting on my ass forever for you to put me in the game. I would love to see Yeah Yeah's introduction video being just a coffin that she punches her way out of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she comes back with the vengeance of Umbrella finally making it into Skullgirls. <laughs> okay, whatever. Sumeru, new stuff, new mechanics, new world, new places, new lore, new music. What are you excited about? Dendro is fantastic. That upside-down pyramid is really cool-looking. Uh, internet. Sumeru is going to introduce the concept of internet to Genshin. Hell so yeah, we'll see how that uh, factors in. Yes. Yeah. 
And I'm sure that the mycelial fungus that they are probably using to facilitate the internet is completely above board and it will not control your mind. Well, frankly, I'm actually just looking forward to the plot continuing to develop a little bit. In terms of how the Dendro Archon is going to work, though, I'm just interested in seeing how they'll sort of continue to develop the story and the setting without necessarily having the Archon as being more antagonistic. Just because it definitely seems like the Fontaine Archon has the potential to be a lot more antagonistic, as does the Archon in Notlan. Of course, there's the Saritza, who is openly working against basically everyone. It is interesting seeing the Archon for this region actually get in contact with you ahead of time. Yeah, and also she's like, I can't travel, but I can kind of do this. There are a lot of opposing forces in Sumeru. There, First of all, there's the two main forests, Avidya and Dharma, which are two Buddhist concepts. Dharma is the way, Avidya is ignorance. The forest and decay. We kind of are seeing mushrooms. They are harbingers of decay. And there's also uh, knowledge and dreams. Dreams are a thing that came up a lot in A's character quest. And they said them a lot and it just made them seem important, but I couldn't figure out what. But it seems to have something to do with these created realms, with eternity, with Ishtaroth. A dream is more imaginary, more abstract than an ambition. Uh, It's the force that drives humans to generate ambitions. So we're getting into like collective consciousness kind of stuff. And they say that the people of Sumeru don't dream. They're not kind of looping themselves back into this larger natural state that connects all time and consciousness, perhaps. And this Archon seems to be perhaps one of dreams because... The Fatui dream meme machine said must harness the power of a dream god. And then we get the phone call from Nahida and she's like, hey, I heard they're doing some stuff in my wheelhouse. So I thought I would check in. Yeah, I'd definitely be interested to see how that interacts with the pre-established conditions laid by Inazuma. We know that the lack of electrovision showing up wasn't the result of the Shogun or A's will. On the other hand, the lack of dreaming in Sumeru doesn't seem to be having a noticeable impact on the number of visions that are around either. Meaning that exact relationship is something that needs to be fleshed out a little bit, which I'm looking forward to. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the chicken. The chicken is very good. The design, impeccable. It is a mushroom. Mushroom chicken. Look. Before I ever played Genshin, I gaslit myself into thinking I saw concept art for these cute little anime raptor mounts. To this day, I'm still pretty sure I saw it in real life. I think it was a clickbait thumbnail that used someone's adoptable or fake Pokemon design. But I've had this idea of these fluffy little raptor things. And then Mushroom Chicken comes out and basically looks exactly like them. I'm very mushroom excited chicken. For yes. <laughs> Sorry, the way you phrase that made it sound wrong? like a delicious dish. It's a whole meal, and it's a pet, and a friend, and a vehicle, and I want to ride something and- with that animation rig. I love it. You know, when you see them roll out a new animation rig enemy, you know there are going to be more of those. It's no accident that the Golden Wolf Lord came out, and it had a snake kind of animation rig and then the next world boss is the ruined serpent the more they build up their database of animatable you know skeletons the more weird enemies they can do and they'll always reuse their assets uh, actually 
Break, how hard is it to scale those animations? Oh, uh, I mean, it just depends on what you're doing with them. I mean, at the end of the day, like the full package is just, uh, is someone capable of making this look natural? You know? I mean, like literally if they wanted to make that chicken, but half the size, would that be very easy or would it take a lot? Oh, to- I mean, no, it, it would rig wise, not a problem. It, it's, mm. it's all down to animation at that point. Right. You know, like a big thing moves differently than a small thing. Yeah. So moving on to Rad, what, what are you looking forward to most in Sumeru of, of what we've seen so far? Well, I mean, I'd like I'd like to see where the where they're taking the plot since like so far we've had the traveler getting thrown into various uh I mean I wouldn't say geopolitical because as much as <laughs> you can't really do politics when your government is like one person. <laughs> Yeah. It's consistently one person. Yeah. Consistently so, one overworked lady. Yeah, like you put one overworked woman in charge and call it a government and it's just like, okay. Like, but you, I mean, I would imagine that it's easier and also harder to do like any kind of diplomacy with that sort of setup. But anyway, um Yeah, wait, like, we don't actually know anything about the government of Sumeru. The yeah. academia and the sages appear to be in charge. Okay. So they've got what like what what they would purport is a meritocracy or something nepotism we didn't they actually have some evil looking guy in the trailer who like didn't look like a playable character but didn't look like just a standard npc either yeah i kind of thought maybe he's like the headmaster or the mayor or something yo are we gonna go against the government in this (laughs) location we kind of did last time and i'm not opposed to doing it again yeah, but it's like, uh, in that case, A totally came around to the Traveler. Yeah. This is like, oh, what if it's a council of old fucks who... Burn it. <laughs> burn it down. Burn it like Dotore's burning that Elden tree. I would also be interested in sort of figuring out, or not figuring out, but like learning, I guess, the um, what Sumeru thinks of um, the growth and decay thing. I guess it depends on the forest, but like some forests need periodic burning to maintain healthy growth, so to speak, or just life in general. When I saw the tree burning and the Archon is about rebirth, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm sure they're going to go ham on botanical references and shame on them if they don't, because plants are fucking weird. Yeah, Yeah. plants are really wild. But Um, yeah, you have stuff like the redwoods, which propagate by fire. Yeah, like, and also just some forests do require periodic burning just because, like, it's how they clean out, like, all the trash on the the forest floor, like, dead leaves and dried out, like, material that's decayed or something, because if it it builds too high and then that goes goes up in flames and the whole forest goes down, so, like... Red, you are painting a picture right now of, like, we had to burn down the Library of Alexandria. The memes and the flotsam were getting too strong. We had to get rid of it before the misinformation overtook everything. It had to pay the ultimate price. (laughs) It wasn't going to stand forever. Amen. Amen. (laughs) For me, I'm most looking forward to the new characters. I'm already kind of taken with Tenari. There's that little dancer girl whose name I can't remember. I think it's like the liberal arts major. The liberal arts major who's very clearly modeled after Morgiana from Magi. I can't wait for Sino. He seems pretty cool. Uh, Future husband, what's it, Al-Haitam? I don't know. We're going to have to get a big crash course in basically every culture represented in Sumeru, and there's a lot. Yeah, so short answer is the characters, looking forward to meeting them, getting to see the new playstyles. 
and all that. But Long answer is Al Hytham's legs. <laughs> and broad shoulders. Anyway. And his roommate. And his roommate. They were roommates. My God, they were roommates. But yeah, going kind of moving forward with something you just touched on there is we're going to have to learn a lot about this culture and mostly because it's not one that any of us are really from or privy to. We've already kind of been looking around for cultural references that have been made. We brought up the Kusanali Jataka in a previous episode, which is a, a single poem from a, a grouping of Buddhist poems, but we're not as well equipped to discuss this region as we were the previous ones. And that's a little bit intimidating, but we definitely want to hear from people who are in one of these represented cultures to, uh, you know, offer some insight in, in areas that we miss. I think that is the coolest thing about Genshin is it makes people curious about real world stuff, real world cultures. And that's, that's why I play it and not Honkai is because it has this real world tie. But with that, I think comes some anxieties. And I would say a, a decent amount of people of the cultures represented in Sumeru engaging in good faith are justifiably a little concerned with how they're going to roll this out. Every culture in Tevat is based on a real culture. First thing is presumably Germany with Mondstadt. Mondstadt is a proof of concept area. That's just the thing they had to get out there so that they had a game. They did not have time to world build and develop it. That doesn't mean they can't loop back into it, but I don't think it was ever really a priority. So as a result, it's kind of more of a surface level Epcot treatment of Germany. It's more Germany by way of generic isekai starter town. Which is disappointing. Definitely agree with what you're saying in that Mondstadt was meant to be a proof of concept. It, it's not meant to be terribly fleshed out initially. But as someone whose background comes from that country, I am disappointed that we haven't seen a revisit to that to help flesh it out. I think that they can revisit it and do some more interesting things. And what I'm saying is we need a Christmas event with Krampus. Yes. We need a goat man to show up beat Timmy's ass for complaining about his birds all the time and throw him in a wicker basket to accidentally mistake Benny for Timmy and then beat his ass and throw him in a basket and we need to save him. <laughs> so take that completely justified anxiety towards a lack of representation in Genshin and now apply it to a culture that is regularly under and misrepresented in media cultures that have long suffered under this viewpoint of being unfavorably compared to cultures that dominate more of the global narrative and that's kind of why people of middle eastern north african south asian southeast asian descent are justifiably apprehensive about sumeru like like all cultures in Tivat, borrow a little from a lot of stuff, but Sumeru is the first one that is really an overt pastiche. The closest approximation I think we came up with is an umbrella called Indo-Persian. But the problem is when you turn it into a pastiche, then you are automatically simplifying it into more of a postcard Epcot version of the cultures rather than a deep dive into a, a, a very authentic version of the culture. It is cool that this region has this melting pot. Like it seems commendable 
that they want to include all these different cultures in Sumeru, but the good faith concern is that they're just not going to be able to really showcase them as deeply as if they had restrained themselves to fewer cultures having to share uh, a focus with each other. My really cynical bad faith concern is, are they conflating them? Yeah, because there's just been a history of sort of in representing these cultures through, um, well, largely Western perspectives in this case, but of conflating them just due to sort of notions of orientalism interchangeability um all stemming from just general kind of racism yes and we have a lot of examples of this in the western portrayal of these cultures we cannot apply it one-to-one to an east asian chinese perspective on these cultures a chinese portrayal of these cultures is not exempt from Orientalism. It's not exempt from having a cultural blind spot in how it represents them. It is going to be different, though, from the Western version of misrepresenting these cultures. You know, first of all, it comes from an Eastern perspective. Um, second of all, you know, the Indian subcontinent has a very, very, very long history of cultural exchange with China and East Asia, uh, specifically through the exchange of Buddhism. So they do have that to draw on, but it doesn't mean they don't have blind spots. One of the things I really loved about Inazuma was I've, you know, I've consumed a lot of media about Japan, but it is almost always either from the perspective of a Western writer or a Japanese one. Seeing an East Asian neighbor, of which it has thousands of years of, you know, a difficult history with, I loved seeing that fresh point of view. So it is disappointing to see kind of the foibles of a portrayal of these other cultures being echoed in what's happening with Sumeru, basically, I guess. Cannot say it enough. They're not going to please everybody. Uh, Cultures are not monoliths. People are individuals and everyone who comes from that culture, like whatever their take is on the representation, it is valid and it is more valid than us who are not from that culture and don't have like a stand on. That being said, we would like really love to kind of keep in touch with people whose cultures are purported to be featured in Sumeru uh, and kind of get a vibe check from them as Sumeru is rolled out. Which brings us to the melanin in the room. Yeah. So. Boy, those Sumeru characters, they're all pretty cool. I'm very just very one white. issue. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just one small issue. Uh, <laughs> this is the fourth country we've been to where they all the baseline is the lily pink complexion. Yeah. At this point, and, like, and it's really starting to get apparent now. Yeah, especially because this is where, you know, characters should have darker complexions going by real world locales as a basis. What, what's, what's what's actually the most concerning to me though, is I saw some of the NPCs and they look fine. And the playable characters yeah. are all white. <laughs> so like you were super hype literally yesterday because they added a bunch of new black hairstyles to Monster Hunter. That's a Japanese game, another East Asian game company, and they 
Like they're getting it. Do you think Mihoyo doesn't get it? Uh, I mean, so I think a lot of what the issue is, is that the cultural perception of realizing that these things and in representation are important to people on a deep level, especially like since this kind of discourse has been becoming um, more and more visible recently, it was always there. It's just becoming more and more visible recently. I think that that as a sort of cultural force in the West is something that's a little bit more prevalent. And I think that that has an influence over sort of what gets marketed and how. So if that force exists, sorry, if you're functioning in an environment that doesn't have that as a cultural force or that doesn't naturally sort of play into that aesthetic, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a priority in a way that might be perceived as overt colorism and racism in the West, whereas maybe elsewhere in the world, it, you know, it's still wrong on one hand, but on the other hand, it's just not a part of the cultural discussion on that same level yet. Which I think is a part of sort of the problem in terms of how this discourse just rapidly becomes incredibly toxic, just because um, people begin shouting like, oh, well, you know, the they're being overtly racist and making a conscious effort to erase this kind of uh, representation in media. And then on the other hand, you have people who are like, oh, but there are plenty of pale-skinned people in the Middle East and in Northern Egypt as well. And they always wheel out that image of the white guy in the pharaoh robe from that one casino. <laughs> to be fair, I will never not laugh at Jim Hotep. <laughs> yes, everyone loves Jim Hotep, but that's not the issue here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But this is all to say that sort of like, on one hand, it is an issue, but it's not also one that I can see immediately being resolved. Like, I, I will definitely say I was like, I was really excited when they put in those hair options to Monster Hunter on one hand. But on the other hand, like, the forces working on Monster Hunter, I think, are sufficiently different from what's going on with mihoyo and what's going on with genshin in general honestly i think the best version of this is maybe having actual areas that are a bit more dedicated to specific cultures that like might be underrepresented like get some sub-saharan african cultures you know the ones that people never talk about and have those represented in an adequate way because that's always the cheat the cheat is always saying like oh well there are instances in um arabic and indian uh cultural beauty standards where light skin was also favored so really we're just playing into those and existing also standards east asia hmm coinky dink yeah yeah um so i guess in summation the entire conversation around this is really delicate and people shouting over the internet is not the best way to conduct talking about this topic especially given that everyone has really different starting points on it so um judging everyone by the same standard can quickly get into a shouting match yeah but it doesn't mean that it is not a dialogue that doesn't need to happen because like you know this is a ch children's fantasy breath of the wild ripoff gambling simulator uh, normally not to say that we wouldn't think it was disappointing if they misrepresented already underrepresented cultures, 
but I think we would just kind of chalk it up to consequence and move on. At least we would if Genshin itself didn't tell us that it valued cultural authenticity. In the GDC talk about Genshin Impact, they said, we try to integrate elements from various cultures in reality. We have a motivation to enrich the world with the diversity of different culture styles so that players from all around the world may find something fun and interesting in the game. We hope not only, for instance, that Chinese players can feel connected to Liyue, but also the players from different backgrounds can enjoy each other's culture from a fresh perspective. They are claiming that this is a game in which people will recognize their own culture and it can be a good ambassador of that culture to people who aren't familiar with it. So we are, and everyone should be, holding them accountable to that. And they have the resources to make that happen. They have the money for consultants, uh, for people who can inject that authenticity. And I know that they, they do care because of how thoroughly these things are researched but the first thing you got to do when you research this stuff is you have to learn what you don't know and that can only come from somebody immersed in that culture giving their perspective on it that is that is the difference between representation and pastiche uh, i don't want to cast too much judgment on sumeru first of all i can't because it's not my culture but second of all we don't know enough about it yet but i think it is fair to have some concerns and to think that it would be cooler if they could do some things better. Yeah, yeah. And, and if if you if the point is for people to see yourselves in this, you have to represent them. That that it also includes visually. Yeah, like, yeah. And I mean, as a point, like one of the more difficult aspects of sort of the discourse surrounding this is that, unlike a lot of other features, skin tone isn't really something that you can kind of fake behind an art style like yeah um it's important that's there because when people are playing this game like if the assumption that this is going to be someone's first engagement with a culture or with seeing a culture that they relate to then you want to be able to have them place themselves in that culture or at least relative to that culture yeah and exactly. a part of that is having characters who resemble you yeah. So because they've made it their mission for people to see themselves in the cultures of this game, they owe it to those people now. And I hope that they use that opportunity then to not just say, oh, well, we screwed up, but we'll do better with the next region. Take the opportunity to go back and make those changes in existing regions. If you, I, I know they have like a, a plan laid out for how they're, you know, approaching the development of the future game, but like, just because you've made a mistake in the past doesn't mean you can't go back and fix it or at least try to improve on it with what you have. I've, n I've noticed with the casting and the English side of the voice cast, there are a lot of POC of these regions in the Sumeru cast. It's kind of like they know on the English front. They're like, we know this is what we can do about it on our end. We are sorry, it's just kind of going to be like this. So, you know, the important thing is that, like, you know, the real people of these cultures and ethnicities are getting these roles. That's great. But it's like, 
Boy, I don't envy them. I really don't envy the English localization team for this one, guys. Yeah. Someone tried to open a malware. Listen, man. That was on my end. My I, bad. <laughs> I thought I was going to get Kitsune Guji 2 Kitsune Harder. They <laughs> eat more buttercrap in this one, but uh, I accidentally got it Trojan and it ate. It ate Genshin. You're free. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where we could we could end it forever now. Forever, oh no. forever. So once again, it's gonna be a hot minute. Uh this is a long-term venture. We'll see you again. If you wanna keep up on our progress, the best thing to do is make sure you're subbed to us with the bell icon on, and then also check the Twitter. Since since we are too baby to have a community page. Um, Twitter is where you will get the closest thing to a real-time update. And also, at this time, we have 88 subscribers, and we are so close to getting rid of that shitty random text string that's in our URL. We can finally be, like, youtube.com slash the shade chamber. That's really cool. I really enjoyed the conversations, the discourse that people have in the comments. Uh, you guys are like a really chill, really thoughtful audience. I hope we kind of continue that a vibe going forward. So until then. We'll see all you fun guys out there in Sumeru. Ooh. God.